Broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett studio inside the Sonesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. It's time for Case in Point, presented by Paradigm Security Services. We are the cornerstone of security in the Southeast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Case in Point, presented by Paradigm Security Services. I'm your host, Rick Strawn, the president of Paradigm Security Services. We're excited to be with you again today, again live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio, located in the beautiful Sinesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel in Duluth, Georgia. In addition to Paradigm Security, this show is also brought to you by Sosby's Garage and the Mana Scholarship Fund. On every show, we feature businesses and people and organizations in the Atlanta area, especially those that serve Gwinnett County. While all businesses have security concerns, not all are about physical security. And we will touch on that and other related aspects of security through the course of our shows. I am very pleased today to uh, have someone, as as everybody knows, uh, the midterms are coming up. And there are a lot of challenges uh, going into this midterm that uh, need to be addressed. And some of the people that are with us from time to time are really, really, really sharp on what they've got to do, what they want to do, what they see are the the problems with existing in our state and are really focused on getting those things corrected. Today, I am pleased to have David Bellisle. He is running for the candidate. He is a candidate for the Secretary of State of Georgia. Hey, David. Rick, thank you so much for having me. Good to be on. I'm glad we can have you here. I've been trying to it seems like I get more and more of the politicians wanting to come on. We do a lot of public service, uh, nonprofits and stuff, but one of the focuses we do, we used to, the elections were, seemed like every two years you'd have a little bit, and especially during the regular uh, elections, uh, the midterms would bring some, but it seems like now every year is an election year. It does, and uh, you know it. it uh, you know, especially the the more competitive uh, a state gets in Georgia right now is highly competitive between the the two parties. Uh, it it ratchets up everything in terms of of significance, and so uh, you know what what uh, would would ordinarily be a, a state uh, election without a presidential implication would would you know those midterms. Uh, everybody's focused, super focused on Georgia, and uh, not just uh, Georgians, but really the entire country. Yeah, the the president and everything that's going on now within our national government, our federal government, really is having a big effect on this midterm. There's a lot of people have uh, really come awake, I think, is the best thing, decided. I just hope that people get off their rear ends and get out and vote. You know, voting is important. But probably just as important as being informed on who you vote for, what the platforms Absolutely. are, what the people stand for, such as yourself. You know, I guess the best thing to do is, I know there's a lot of people that are familiar with who you are, but just for the record, who is David Bellisle? Well, absolutely. I'm a sixth-generation Georgian, um, and uh, that's mainly because I don't know my family past you know, further back than that. So <laughs> all the generations I know of are Georgia gener- generations. But uh, I grew up in Gainesville, Georgia, uh, poultry capital of the world. My parents ran the airport there, uh, flight training and charter and aircraft sales. And uh, I, uh, I met my wife now 28 years ago, and this is our 25th year of marriage. Awesome. And uh, so we, uh, we got married in Athens 
We are both graduates of the University of Georgia. Go dogs! Go dogs! That's right. It's a good year. This is the year of the dog. This is the year of the dog. Uh, and my my oldest, uh, my son, is a is a freshman now at Georgia. Uh, so we are we are a triple dog family at the moment, and uh, so that's good. And my I have a daughter who is a junior in high school. So uh, um, they. Uh, in terms of uh, what I do uh, when I'm not campaigning, I am an attorney by trade. That's not usually good uh, for a political office, uh, but in this case, there's uh, a lot of attorneys that are politicians. There are, and I know a lot of people, uh, you, know, you know, probably rightly so, uh, wince a little bit when they hear someone who's running for office as an attorney. But in this case, in the Secretary of State's office, uh, you got an office that touches at least five areas of law. And having an attorney in that head seat uh, is is definitely an asset. So, uh, but I I run a a law firm in downtown Alpharetta. Uh, I, my uh, legal experience spans from litigation to transactions uh, to real estate, and uh, these days I spend most of my time in uh, with respect to real estate transactions. Well, I spent my high school graduating from Roswell High School many years ago. Our graduating class was the largest class that they'd ever had. It was 108. Now they've got what two, three high schools? Oh my gosh! Yeah, and 108 in a class. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I grew up around Roswell and Alpharetta back when it was the a lot smaller. It, and it's changed quickly. I mean, just uh, you know, 40 years ago, th- this is interesting. So Alpharetta today is about I don't know the last numbers I saw were about 72,000 people. 40 years ago, it was 3,000. Yeah, and, and so that just tells you the the growth that it has experienced in in such a rapid period of time. We moved to Roswell in 1967. So I have seen the change, and it's been amazing. Well, you know, one of the, I think, for me, and I think probably for my listeners, is good question is, why is it so important that you run for the Secretary of State's office now? Yeah, well, I, and, and the interesting thing you mentioned was now. So I ran for Secretary of State before. I, I ran against Brad Raffensperger. Uh, there was four of us running uh, at the time, and uh, I ended up in the runoff against Brad. Uh, and, uh, you know, in those days, in those days, as if it was so long ago. <laughs> Seems uh, like it. But it does seem like we've lived a lifetime uh, between now and then. But, it, but you know, in the last election, there was really the only issue uh, was was uh, secure elections. You know, we, we had a, a very simple platform was the defeat voter fraud, champion Georgia jobs. And we talked, uh, and rightfully so, a lot about election security. Uh, today... Uh, because of the way Brad Raffensperger has handled that office, not only are we having to talk election security, we're having to talk about election trust or election confidence uh, because those are not the same thing. One can certainly help the other. Uh, but, uh, you know, we never really dealt with in the last uh, campaign with trust and confidence issues because that was, for the most part, just there. It was a given. That's right. Uh, but now uh, there's been so much misinformation, so much poor judgment on the on behalf of the current occupant of the Secretary of State's office that now, in addition to uh, securing elections, we also have to win back trust. And that's really been the mantra of our campaign uh, with, when it comes to elections is winning back trust in Georgia elections. Well, I can tell you from a voter standpoint on my end of it, you know, you can you can fall on whichever side you want to. Was it was it a legitimate election? Was it not a legitimate election? You know, there's people on both sides. But the most important thing that I think most everybody can agree to is there's not a lot of faith right now that everything is going to be transparent and everything is going to be up and up on a on a legal basis. 
And regardless of which party you're on, I think everybody feels that way. Of course, whichever party wins, the other party feels like it was a, a theft. But the reality of it is the trust issue is a big issue right now in our elections, in our election process in the state, as, this, as really most states. Yeah, it is. And uh, it, it's really, you know, it, it, a lot of this, I think, was avoidable. People ask me sometimes, they say, well, you know, if you had been, uh, you know, the Secretary of State and president called you and said to find votes and whatever however you want to interpret that conversation what would you have done that's the question i get yep. from a lot of media everything from the washington post to the new york times i said well you you presume a lot in that question and what you presume primarily in that question is that that i would have made all the decisions that brad made up until that point to have put myself in the circumstance to have made that call um, and there's a lot uh, that brad messed up with and, and it's really you know, people say, well, well, um, especially, uh, you know, liberal-based media will tell us, and they say, well, you need to show me the fraudulent votes. You need to show me the evidence. And, and, and I, look, I don't have to go there. I, I, if I had a list of, you know, the, the election was decided by about 11,600 votes. Right. Um, if I had a list of 11,600 fraudulent votes, I, I you know, I, I would, would have already been in the news with that. Uh, I don't have that. In fact, because of the way the election was run, nobody has that. Exactly. Um, but I can show the the decisions that were made and how they had an impact on the election without having to prove a single fraudulent vote. Right, um, those decisions coming up to the election. That's right. And and so the first thing, uh, or one of the first things that Brad decided, uh, is that he sent unrequested absentee ballot applications to 6.9 million addresses and it was the it basically he, he just sent one to everyone who was on the voter rolls the problem knowing is knowing that a lot of those people were either dead or moved or well and and he whatever. was confronted with that before he actually pulled the trigger and his 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 response to that was well uh, if we get a return to sender <laughs> then we'll know to remove them from the rolls right which is uh, incredibly reckless, but he sends this Very out. naive. Yeah, so he sends these out to the 6.9 million addresses, um, and you know, not every county manages their voter rolls with the same level of scrutiny. In Fulton County, which is where I live, um, you have 103 percent of eligible voters in Fulton County registered to vote. 103 percent. Yeah, I'm not a mathematician, but there's something <laughs> wrong with that. I mean, if you had 90 percent, you'd be doing good. Yes. But 103 percent is just amazing. <laughs> um, and so, you know, th with that in mind, that's that's the context in which these were sent out. But in addition to sending out these uh, these applications, he sent them first class mail. And at first that seems, OK, well, that makes sense, I guess. Send it first class mail. The, the reason you send something first-class mail or one of the advantages of sending something first-class mail is when it arrives at an address where that person no longer lives, it's automatically forwarded to the new address, whether it's in-state or not. And if anybody acts on that absentee ballot application, whether they moved in-state or out of the state, that is an illegal vote. Right, and it's not tracked. It's not tracked. Um, and then in addition to that, uh, there was a box you could check. And if you check the box on this application you didn't ask for, you could receive ballots for the duration of the seven-month election cycle, which could be as many as four ballots over that seven-month period. We also know about the lawsuit that was filed. Um, you know, the, uh, it's often called this consent decree, and I, I'm not sure how it got that name. It's actually a settlement agreement. 
but when you read the settlement agreement, what you recognize, and this is where I fault Brad in terms of having an understanding of judgment and, and understanding that when you make a decision, what are the consequences of that of that decision? So when he signed that settlement agreement, and it made the lawsuit go away, and it made Stacey Abrams stop, you know, rattling a saber, but it it changed how the 159 counties would evaluate an absentee ballot when received. You see, prior to that settlement agreement, a registrar would look at an absentee ballot and they would look to see that it was an actual voter in that precinct, that the signature matched, and if everything looked good, they would put it in the count pile, or if it didn't, they would put it in the rejection pile. And on average, you had about 4.6% of those ballots that would be rejected, either the signature didn't match, not an actual voter, address, what have you. Um, and so, but when he signed that agreement, it would require, and it did require, all 159 counties, in order to reject a ballot, they'd have to review the ballot, and if two of the three decided that it should be rejected, then um, uh, they, would, they would then have to notify the alleged voter within a single business day and by mail and by at least one other form of communication. And the inference is, is if they don't follow the very bulky and uh, cons time-consuming procedure to reject that ballot, that it should be counted. And so you went from 4.6% rejection rate to 0.4%. That was a difference of 55,000 votes in an election decided by 11,600 votes. Those 55,000 in any other election would have been rejected. Um, you start looking at the, the splits on how absentee ballots fell. It fell 65% for Biden, 35% for Trump. That alone, when you take those out at that percentages, that does change the outcome of the election, and you haven't proved a single fraudulent vote. This is just judgment. Now, the other thing, you know, with, with Brad is that, that he has yet to admit that he has made a single mistake uh, at all, <laughs> not with respect to the drop boxes, not with respect to the absentee ballot applications unrequested, not with respect to the settlement agreement, and that is critical uh, because he has taken a conclusion that he made just two days after the election that it was the fairest, most secure election in history and has doubled down and then tripled down and quadrupled down. In addition to that, when he is made aware of, he knows of 1,700 voters, by the way, that he'll admit that actually voted twice. They voted once uh, in the absentee and then also voted again in person. Not one has been prosecuted. When you look to the uh, the issues with Fulton County, whether it's the 103% eligible, eligible voters being yeah. registered to vote, whether it's uh, the fact that it's been brought to everyone's attention, there's, there's 1,000 voters in Fulton County that have either a vacant lot, a UPS store, or, or a post office box as their primary address. There's been a failure to be curious all along the way. And so those are the things that really set him up uh, to, 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 I mean, it, it sets the state up to not have confidence or trust in him or in the process. No, I, I totally agree. There were just too many things that weren't right and were, were just off center. As you went through the process, that, like I say, the math doesn't add up uh, when you really look at it. Um, well, you've mentioned a little bit about what uh, Secretary Raffensperger did wrong. If you got any other points that you want to make on that end of it? Well, I think, you know, there's a lot, you know, it, it, we, we talk about, um, you know, you, you mentioned before about being educated, uh, educating yourself about um, the candidates that are in the race. And uh, I, I like to remind people that, you know, last time when we were running, uh, there was four of us running for Secretary of State. And all four of us had what I would consider from the Republican point of view the right opinion when it came to election integrity, even Brad. 
the problem is the guy who got the job couldn't do the job. And so it's very important that if we're going to get the question of Secretary of State right next time, we need to take a minute, take a breath. There is a temptation to, to simply pick you know, the, the name you've seen the most or the one with the shiniest uh, endorsement. Uh, but that's not going to make this office work. You know, one of the things, you know, with, with Brad's performance or lack of in that 2020 election, you know, the, the legislature took action and they removed him as a voting member from the state board of elections. And that's important as you go forward because you got to think, well, how is he going to be able to make, how is anyone in that office going to be able to make improvements in security and win back trust in that circumstance? Because if you think about it, now you have a secretary of state who does not have uh, a vote on the state board of elections. You have 159 county board of elections that do not uh, are not directly uh, uh, responsible to the secretary of state's office. You have the state legislature that makes the law. The courts interpret the law. The only way that you're going to make the election side of the house work is through what I call platform leadership, and and that's where you know I was mayor of Alpharetta for for two terms. Uh, the best job I've ever had. Loved it. Um, and the things that we accomplished were not because they were written in the city charter or because it was through the powers of the mayor's office or even the job description of the mayor. You know, when I was mayor, we created a new downtown out of whole cloth. Some of you have probably seen it. Uh, it's we took, great. <laughs> we love it. Uh, we took an 85-acre failed project uh, that had been uh, dormant for seven years. And we were able to punch a road through, find the right development team, and create to what is now Avalon. Uh, we took our core industry, what Alpharetta does best. We grew it from 300 companies to over 700 companies. We branded our city as a technology city of the South. We leveraged the leadership that was already within our city to do that. Uh, we fixed things even like broadband gaps. We got AT&T and Verizon to work together to figure out how we could improve the broadband in our city. That in and of itself <laughs> is an accomplishment. That's right. Uh, we There's so much that we did, but that was all about casting a vision not because you had the authority to, but getting people voluntarily behind that vision, finding that path, and getting things done. And that's how, you know, when you look at the Secretary of State's office, there's still a lot of room for improvement, obviously. We need to have the same level of security to vote absentee as when you vote in person. Uh, I believe we need to securitize those ballots, at least to the same level as your personal check. Absolutely. <laughs> I think we need to get rid of the anonymous use of drop boxes. Uh, we need to get rid of the uh, the, the no-excuse uh, opportunity to vote by absentee ballot. And it used to be you had one day to vote, and if you couldn't, you had to present an absentee ballot with a valid excuse. Now you why have, you couldn't be there. Yeah. Now you have 17 days to vote in person, spread out across four weeks, and you don't need a reason at all to use an absentee ballot. There has to be some security there that, in order to win back trust. But all of those things, and I've got other ideas, election courts and other things, to make sure that uh, cases are heard and not dismissed because we ran out of time. But all those things require someone who knows how to lead when they don't have the authority to do so. In other words, someone who knows how to cast a vision to champion a cause and get people behind it. And that's what's going to take to secure elections, and that's what it's going to take to win back trust in Georgia's elections. Well, you don't have a leader unless you have followers. And if you don't have someone that's leading, what's well, like with this taking him off the the board of elections? When you have a if you have a CEO in your company that is totally unable to sit on the board or or do anything within the company, it becomes rudderless, mm -hmm. and you've got a lot of different opinions running in the running the show. 
So you've got to have, basically, when it comes to voter registration and voter integrity, you've got to have a CEO, somebody that oversees it and manages it. Right now, we don't have managers. And that's what we've got to figure out. So I know that you have another guest coming later uh, who's uh, running for, for the same seat uh, for yes, Secretary of State. And, uh, you know, it's, it, what we have to make sure we don't do is like, well, we just need someone other than Brad. Well, that's not going to do. No, absolutely. When, when you make your assessment as the Secretary of State, you have to look at what they have done. Uh, you know, if their whole experience is pushing you to the red button or the green button and there's really no leadership there, then all you're doing is making it a rhetoric platform and not a leadership platform. And if we're going to make the right decision this time, and especially with – I know everyone's focused on elections. I do want to talk about some of the other things the office can do. But if, if we're going to make the right decision there, we have to look at the skill set and the experience of the person that you're considering and look at what they're able to do because having the right opinion is great, but that's not enough. It's not enough to make that office work. And then there's the whole flip side. I tell people – you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, with respect to the Secretary of State, it's really, you know, the Secretary of State is the keeper of the great seal of the state of Georgia. I love that um, because in addition to being uh, a, a statutory duty, it's actually a literal one. And there's a seal from the 1700s still in the Secretary of State's office, but it also represents the job. You see the seal, and most people, when they think of it, they think of the three pillars and it says wisdom, justice, moderation, our state motto, and you've got a, an arch that connects them. It's the state constitution that pulls it all together. There's a citizen soldier down below protecting that. Uh, and that has always, to me, represented the Secretary of State's responsibility in protecting the consent of the governed, in other words, through fair and secure elections. You know, we all think, oh, the consent of the governed, that's so important. It is. But you cannot have the consent of the governed without fair and secure elections. And so that's the seal, right? But it's not the whole seal, and that's not the whole Secretary of State's office. You see, most people don't recognize there's another side to the seal. If you flip it to the other side, there's also some symbolism there. There's the port. There's uh, depictions of agriculture and trade. And that also, you know, see, the Secretary of State is over corporations, licensing, securities, and charities. Those are things that touch and concern the rest of the state. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, the same leadership failures that have been on that one side of the seal have also affected the other side. We have to make licensing work for the state of Georgia. But there's also, and this is what really drew me, you know, people say, why on earth would you want to run for Secretary of State? I mean, it, it, is, it is quite possibly, and I would not disagree with this, the worst job in politics. And one of the reasons it's the worst job in politics is because you have all the responsibility, especially now, with no actual authority. But that's where a mayor thrives, and that's where the untapped potential of the Secretary of State's office resides. There is a, you know, when you talk about the Secretary of State's office, it is an office that touches every single business, every single community, every single organization in the state. And so I want to leverage it just like I would as a mayor to be able to help communities and counties and businesses all across the state. I want to make Georgia the number one ag tech state in the country. I want to blaze a path for first-time entrepreneurs, making it easy to set up a job, but also to, to get the tools in place to help them succeed. I want to work with mayors and county commissioners across the state to do not, you know, I know every place is in Alpharetta, but to be able to say, look, where do you want to go? How do we get the right people in this room, and how do we chart that course? Because that's what was so successful for Alpharetta. We, tr we accomplished tremendous things in my two terms as mayor of Alpharetta, more so than we had done in the previous 20 or 30 years. And the point is, is that I know how to get people in the room. I know how to chart a course. I know how to get people behind a vision. And what I don't even know if it will work, 
but I would love to be working with the communities and counties and cities across the state of Georgia to help them chart that path. Um, and I think that's a lot of the untapped potential in that Secretary of State's office. It's that second side of the seal. Well, and I agree, you know, a lot of people don't understand that unless you're in business and you'll understand, but incorporating things, uh, business licenses, the uh, security industry is regulated unfortunately not very well uh, regulated but uh, do you have uh, it sets all the standards for the security industry through the Secretary of State's and I have to go get my license and be licensed through the Secretary of State's office uh, there's a lot of companies out there right now that are operating because uh, without a license uh, they just managed to slide through and, and behind the scenes there's a lot of companies out there that are operating without licenses and that's not all his fault or anybody's fault. Uh, there's only, I think, two investigators working for the whole state in the Secretary of State's office to follow up these. So they can really only follow up when they receive a complaint to follow up on that, and then they can't even follow up on all of those. There's just so much more that the Secretary of State does than just elections. That's right. And and on the licensing side, I think we just need a, a really a, a – a top-to-bottom audit with respect to the licensing side. And we, we here, here's the thing, and there's many licensing boards from nursing to engineers, architects. There's a lot of licensing boards serviced by this office. Um, and the problem is those licensing fees that come through, they go straight to the general fund, and then a small percentage back comes back to the Secretary of State's office to run it. And I understand uh, we're always trying to keep taxes low, and so looking at sources of revenue from the legislature, I get that. But if we're not careful, and we've already seen attempts at this, you're going to see these licensing boards wanting to remove themselves out from under the Secretary of State's office, which means it's going to be a higher cost to the taxpayer because now you're not getting those synergies or economies of scale. You're making it less efficient, not more efficient. Well, there's and no coordination. That's right. And so when I talk to people, uh, for instance, in the funeral home service, it's like, yeah, the, the problem is they send an investigator out here and they don't know anything about our business. And not only that, I don't, I, I, honestly, I don't know how many funeral homes are in the state of Georgia, but let's say there's a thousand funeral homes. Well, they're going to the same 50 over and over and over again, and so they just have their rote and their pattern. And so there's really just not, it's just not a good system. In addition to that, while I believe there's enough money going through the Secretary of State's office, more of that money needs to stay to service those licenses to make it effective and ultimately make it more cost effective for the state. Yeah, and to pay for things like investigators and stuff like that to actually right. do the job that they're expected to do when the reality of it is right now they can't do the job they're expected to do. And the certification process. Exactly. Uh, and also looking through, uh, you know, the, there are there are some licenses that, that probably don't need to be licenses. There are some that probably need to be standards, need to be lessened. Uh, it, it should be a matter, you know, licensing is about protecting the public not protecting a particular trade or person or industry. Exactly. And, you, and it's a balance. Uh, I'm a licensed professional. My license is through the state bar. It's not through the Secretary of State's office. Uh, but there is a value in having licensing. But it needs to, we have not had a top-to-bottom review or analysis of licensing under the Secretary of State's office, in, 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 to my understanding, in a very long time. I'm not familiar with one either. Um, well, I guess the big question is why should we vote for you? It really comes down to, to what do you want, what is it going to take to make that office successful? And we touched on that a little bit in that, you know, the, the, the tendency is, and this is what happened last time, you know, six weeks out from the election, we were in first place last time, uh, which was great, right? 
uh, we knew there'd be a runoff. We knew we'd be in it. Um, and then Brad uh, was actually in fourth place. He put $2 million of his own dollars in there, and he's allowed to do that. Um, and so he was able to get name ID. He ran on things like uh, stopping sex trafficking, the opioid crisis, and money laundering. How's that working? <laughs> well, you know, those are still big issues, but he he literally, they, they ran a poll to see what the people cared about in that particular moment, and they ran ads on the things that people cared about, which I guess is That's smart. Good politics. Good politics. But uh, the point is, is that the Secretary of State has nothing to do uh, with, with those issues. And what we ended up with is someone who, who was able to get the job, but just not be able to do the job. And if it's not enough when you see someone who fails at a job, it's not enough to simply get them out and put just anyone else in. You have to put someone in there who's got the skill set necessary to make that job success. And this is a hard job. It is a hard job because for the reasons I stated earlier, you have all the responsibility in the world and almost none of the authority to actually get it done. And so you have to put someone with the skill set of being able to lead when you don't have the authority to do it. Um, and putting someone in, and, and with, with due respect to uh, Mr. Heiss, uh, who's a congressman uh, who's, ha- ha- who's not served any leadership capacity in the House, who's not had a single uh, bill or, or, or legislative, ac- legislative accomplishment other than just signing on to someone else's bill that he can point to, who's not had the leadership experience, that you're going to ask him for more of the same. We can't afford this office to be simply a rhetoric lightning post. We need to just put someone in there, quite frankly, that will make the job boring again uh, and, <laughs> and, and be able to lead – Um, not just the things that, you know, with the hole in the boat with respect to elections, but actually be able to untap the potential uh, in this office. Well, I know that in view of everything that the the Secretary of State, and I challenge people to go to the Secretary of State's office website and go to permits and licenses and look at all the things that are there. You will be amazed at just how much comes under the Secretary of State's office that you deal with on a daily basis. Uh, I know I was amazed when I went in and, and tried to find how to get uh, a security license back many years ago. Uh, there were so many things in there, you have to kind of go through the weeds to find it. But there are tremendous responsibilities that are placed upon the Secretary of State's office. That's right. Um, and we didn't even touch corporations, but, you know, corporations, it, it used to be you now pay, a, uh, you know, the expedited fee. Uh, to get a corporation or an LLC turned around at the same speed that you used to just get for just using the Secretary of State's office. So it, there's been a lot of changes there that have not been positive ones. Yeah. Well, I know you touch on a lot of it. Uh, is there anything else that you would do differently as a Secretary of State than what's been going on now? I know you've touched a lot on it. Yeah. Well, I, I think one of the things is you got to recognize it, and this is one of Brad's uh, – problems, I will say, is that he, I think Brad looked at this office and said, well, I'm a constitutional officer, so I don't need to answer to anybody. And he didn't. Uh, He didn't talk with anybody. He never met with the governor about issues, whether it was that lawsuit, whether it was sending absentee ballot applications, never the Speaker of the House or Lieutenant Governor. Uh, He decided from the very beginning that he was an island and he didn't need anybody. And the thing is, that's not how any nothing works nothing well. Nothing works well that with way. that mindset, and and you have to recognize that that you know, when, especially when all these uh, other constitutional officers and leaders are all of your own party, and you have to recognize that that they all, all of them have been at it longer than him, and 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 being able to talk with them and work with them and understand that if you the moment you kind of put yourself on an island, they're going to leave you on that island. 
Uh, and in this case, that's what you know. That's what you got to do is you got to find someone who knows how to work with others, who knows how to lead with others, not to cave to their principles, but at the same time recognize that this ain't a one-man show. This is a team effort. Well, I can tell you from personal experience and being in business, if you are the smartest person in the room or you believe you're the smartest person in the room, you have troubles. You're in the wrong room. You're in the wrong room, exactly. <laughs> you need to surround yourself by people that are smarter than you are. Mm-hmm. And whatever their given area is, their their expertise is far outweighs yours. You have knowledge of all of it. You have management capabilities. You have decision-making capabilities. But you got a bunch of smart people around you, which is a lot of what the problem is with governments nowadays, is you get the head person, i.e. the president, that surrounds himself by people that may not be the brightest people in the room or the Secretary of State's office where you think you're the smartest person in the room. The decisions don't work that way. If you don't have people that give you feedback, it's very easy to make a bad decision and even worse when you don't take accountability for it and aren't willing to change paths. Uh, And that's what I've seen in a lot of government, including our state, they're not willing to change paths to read, redirect their course. It's just like sailing a, a boat. You have to keep changing your course as you're moving along and make adjustments, or you're not going to be anywhere that you thought you were going to be when you get there. Right. Um, I guess we've covered so much of, of the Secretary of State's office and, and what you would change, what's important for you. I guess... What would be your proudest achievement as mayor of Alpharetta? Yeah, it will always be. And we, we had a lot of achievements and very proud of, of what we were able to do with the city. But it will always be for me downtown. Um, you know, that's the whole reason I ever ran for office was to, was to create a new downtown for the city of Alpharetta because I was worried that we had a place and a community that would suddenly just be sucked up in the sprawl of, of metro Atlanta. And I would tell people when I first ran for council, I'd say, look, close your eyes and think of Alpharetta. You know, what comes to your mind? And at the time, uh, this would have been in 2006, uh, there really wasn't any. You know, people would give me answers, and, and they weren't trying to be funny. They would take the mall, uh, 400, <laughs> Old Milton Parkway. The lake? Uh, well, there is a Windward Lake, but not yeah. many people see it. Uh, but uh, The riding, the horses? The, they there's not a lot of horses left yeah, in Alpharetta. That's true. They used to have the polo grounds. <laughs> yeah. They don't have that anymore. But, uh, you know, but most people could come up with very little. In fact, uh, even our uh, Convention and Visitors Bureau, which their whole job is to sell the city of Alpharetta, they would have these pictures on their brochures that could be in any town. And so my proudest moment was being able to figure out, okay, we've got to change that. We've got to create a downtown that fits our, our community and our city. Um, and, you know, it, it didn't work the first time. It didn't work the second time. But the third effort um, that I led as mayor, we were able to create what we have now. And there's a sense of place, of, of irresistibility. You know, our, our whole goal was to, to make sure we had an opportunity for second-generation Alpharettans. I mean, Al- Alpharetta's been around since 1858. But because of the population growth, you're hard-pressed to find someone who grew up in Alpharetta and is still there. And so creating a city that was so irresistible that the kids who are growing up there now would come back to the city, make it their home because they wanted to be there. And I think we put a lot of, uh, a lot of good uh, work in the ground to make that, make that a reality. Well, I know that uh, Roswell has not done a lot of stuff like that, but it's amazing how many of my classmates and all still live around the Roswell area and raise their kids and their grandkids around the Roswell area just because it's just it feels like home 
mm-hmm. and that's what you're talking about. You want Alpharetta to feel like home. That's right. And when you create that town center atmosphere where you have the people that are interacting and you, you go up and you see somebody you went to high school with, stuff like that, it's amazing. Uh, it gives you a personal feeling of attachment and ownership, right? which is important in any, any town and any community. Well, it's been great talking to you. Let me ask you this. Is there anything else you'd like to say to the audience? Uh, uh, and then we'll close with how they get in touch with you. We absolutely will, and I can both for kind of the same. Well, Rick, first, for, thank you for having me, and uh, we, we would. Uh, I would love for for those who have questions on the Secretary of State's office. There, there's a lot of emotion, a lot of passions, a lot of things have been stirred up, and I'm happy to talk uh, to you know to anyone about it. And you can find us very easily at uh, davidbellisle.com on the web, or you can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, that sort of thing too. I'm easy to find too. My phone number's there. If you want to talk, I'd love to talk to you. If you have questions. Uh, we are chasing hard. Uh, this is this is important. You know, th- this is not just some race that's on the ballot. It is considered a down ballot race, uh, but it, it, in my opinion, it's the most important race on the ballot, and we do have to get it right. And and it's so much more important than just finding someone uh, whose name you've seen somewhere or who's been endorsed by somebody or who's got a, a shiny opinion. Uh, it's so important that we get the person not only who has the right opinion on election integrity and championing jobs, but someone who's got a track record of getting that done. Well, that's one of the things I started out with. It's absolutely imperative and important that everybody vote, but you've got to be informed when you vote. Don't just vote because first person because mama voted that way, daddy's voting that way, my brother and sister are voting that way, my friends are voting that way. Get out and make your own decisions based on what you can ascertained from that person's record well david thank you very much i appreciate it i wish you all the best and i'm sure that we'll be hearing a lot more from you as we move along and thank you for joining us on case in point presented by paradigm security services and in part by sosby's garage and mana scholarship fund be sure to join us live for the live broadcast every other wednesday at 11:30 a.m if you miss the live broadcast no worries You can enjoy the show anytime by visiting businessradiox.com, selecting the Gwinnett Studio, and then, of course, click on Case in Point. This program is also available on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or really wherever you enjoy your favorite podcasts. Please be sure to subscribe to Case in Point so you don't miss any of our future episodes. And for my guest, David Bellisle, and our producer, Mike, I am Rick Strawn, and remember, at Paradigm Security Services, we cover more than just your assets.